What's up, everybody? I'm TJ. And I'm Kelsey. And we are the, the Nashville, Nashville Wine Duo. Duo. With Michelle Bell at City Winery um, in Nashville, and we've known you for a while now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's been like Three I feel years. like the first time we were here was 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah, before the pandemic hit, because it was nice because we came for brunch. No, it was no, I don't know, was it? It was the. It might have been right before, or it was, yeah, it was right before. when it started. It was we right had everything started. outside. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we were in the tent. Yes, mm -hmm. so you've made it through, we've made yeah. it through <laughs> Somehow. on the other side. <laughs> um, but you're always so fun to talk to, oh. and you love wine, and you're just the sweetest person, and she's an amazing winemaker. She's amazing. the winemaker here yep. at City Winery, and you know, you've been in the wine industry for a really long time. So, um, yeah, and this is Michelle Bell. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about, yeah, like your background yeah. and how you got to be here and everything? Well, thank you, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm from California originally. Um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is nice and cold and very different from Tennessee in many different ways. Um, but I really got into wine kind of in my like early 20s. I just was always like excited to learn about it. and. I would have friends where we would go to Napa and go tasting, and they'd be like, "Yeah, let's get wasted." And I'd be like, the only person talking to, the wine like maker. learning about it. And I'd be like, "No, I really want to like talk to them and figure it out." It was so interesting to me, um, and you know, I for most of my twenties, I actually like went to school to do musical theater and was doing that and was on tour. And we would stop in these little towns, and I just became more and more interested in wine and decided to take a break kind of from acting in my mid-twenties and then um, on a limb was like, maybe I'll work in a tasting room in Paso Robles and uh, my parents relocated out there and so it kind of was kismet in a way and I started working um, at Ancient Peaks, which is a really awesome winery, estate, vineyard. I think they've got it's like 200,000 acres on their property. Wow. It's the entire town of Santa Margarita, which is a really awesome, like old historical town that's nestled between Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo. So it's got like, I think four different microclimates, but like eight different soil types all on these 200,000 yeah. acres. Okay. Um, and they've planted grapes on, I wanna say it's like 25,000 of those acres. Then the rest of it, they have cattle. So it's like the most employed cowboys. Like that's their actual job really? um, in the country is like within their property. That's so unique. Wow. Yeah. So is that like Central Coast or is that? Yeah. Okay, that's Central Coast. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was there for a long time and just really like working the tasting bar and started um, kind of doing more work like enjoying my work with like customers and things like that. And then I got the opportunity to go up north um, to the Sierra Foothills to a much smaller winery and manage their wine club and do more like outside sales. And then with that, you know, working with smaller wineries, you do a lot more than you're ever supposed to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You start out doing one thing and you 
began to do other things. Um, and I started doing like vineyard work, which I thought was just like super fun. And so this family I was working with, um, the Tanner family, Tanner Vineyards is where I was working. Um, they had about 200 acres and about 45 of that was planted. Um, and so I would like get up at 6 a.m. and go out in the vineyard on like an ATV and start pulling samples of grapes. And um, I was helping with the bulk grape sales. And so really started getting more into like the production side of things, mm-hmm. um, which was just so cool to me. Um, and getting to like be there on days when we pick and like just, you know, there's nothing better than being on a vineyard at like 5 a.m. when the sun is rising and yeah. there's like yeah. bunnies and birds and things and you're just like <laughs> riding through the vine. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember I used to get like cuts and stuff because you sometimes the overgrowth on the canopy will get like super intense and you just have to like ride yeah. through it and so I would just I'd like spray perfume and be like no <laughs> it's all, it would all seep into my cuts and stuff but I got really into kind of more that side of things and in these really small communities and in these family-owned vineyards like there's not a lot of growing that you can do um, in your position and so for me I was like I really want to get experience actually in the cellar and making wine and doing all of that but there just was not a place for that I Mm -hmm. think and a couple people had told me um, you know there's not really like a place for a woman in the cellar and Mm -hmm. kind of I'm very petite and so your size can make a difference, but also like people there, we're not moving to other places. Everyone's really settled in yeah. work. So I kind of figured, okay, I'm either gonna go back to Paso Robles maybe, or another part of California, or I was thinking about going to Oregon. And um, I was like, but I'm just gonna take a little break. And so I came out to Tennessee to work at a theater with an old friend of mine out in Clarksville. Um, and then once I finished up my work there, I had also met my husband in that time and was like, oh, well, <laughs> I like this guy, so what do I do? Um, and then this huge snowstorm hit in January of the following year. And so I was kind of like, we were stuck in the house, I remember, for like two weeks. And in that time, the assistant job had been posted for here. And so I was like, oh, well, that would be perfect. I'd mm-hmm. love to like actually be in the cellar doing stuff. So like an assistant winemaker? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, Bill Anton, who's my old boss, was at the time the winemaker. And I reached out to him and was like, I would love to do this. And, you know, I have some good general knowledge. But in my mind, I was like, I've got to have at least more experience than I would think most people walking around in Tennessee you know, doing cellar work. And I remember being like so scared that I wasn't experienced enough, but um, we got along really well. And you know, what I knew was more than I think a lot of other people. And I was like, I'm moving here. So I'm like ready to get into this. And it just like ended up working out. So, wow. Yeah. So, so how long were you the assistant winemaker for? I was here for like a year and a half. Um, and then I did take like a little break. Um, when he left and they were bringing in another winemaker and I got an opportunity to work at the Grand Ole Opry doing a show there Mm -hmm. and so I was like you know at this there was like a little bit of jumbling around and I was like I'm just gonna wait till the dust settles and then you know see where it takes me from there so I worked at the Opry and then I really missed 
winemaking. Like, I thought that I missed acting a lot, but yeah. I was like, no, I kind of miss, like, weekends and being home mm -hmm. and, you know, in the evening and, like, all the things that come with, you know. Growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, just mm -hmm. wanting to be, like, a regular person with a regular <laughs> job. <laughs> like, oh, I hate, you know, singing Christmas songs three times <laughs> on Saturdays. And um, so... Then I was like interested in coming back, and the winemaker who had come in in the interim was like, "Oh, actually, well, I'm leaving, so wow. it's working out well." And that was like January of 2020 was when I was coming back in, and then as he was phasing out, was like when everything shut down. Oh, so um, I think March. So he was like had like one week with me where we were gonna kind of gonna overlap and go over things and then um, I remember our bottling line had like broken in the middle of a bottling like completely you know this $250,000 piece of equipment that is just a tank of a piece of equipment broke down and we then we were like shut down the next week and I was like oh, oh no. well so then we spent like a month fixing it because we had nothing else to do. Right. Oh, man. So he came in and, you know, we bonded a lot because I was like, we were underneath this machine for weeks. And yeah, so I can fix any bottling. <laughs> <laughs> really good. <laughs> but yeah, so then I've just kind of like mostly been by myself here ever since because, you know, we were shut down for a long time in a way but of all of our locations we were the most open really oh wow mostly because we had the tent outside yeah that yeah. outside tent was really nice yeah. yeah and um but also tennessee had the least amount of restrictions yeah, yeah. for businesses and because we were able to do so much like outdoor work and just have masks going um we were able to kind of make it through which yeah. was crazy but Did it ramp up like a lot in this last year? Um, in some ways, um, I think our business has really amped up a lot. I'd say the wine production is pretty much the same. Last year, we took on a lot of crop to make up for like 2020. Then this year, we took a little less because um, we had so much from last year. And I think with my pregnancy, they were like, let's. <laughs> be gentle. Oh yes, you're pregnant. We didn't mention oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Oh yes, for the people that are just listening on the audio. <laughs> so how's that been being pregnant and not being able to have the wine? Well, I can, you can still taste it and spit. I it. can taste it. I spit it. I was telling TJ earlier that it's just like physically so much more of a hindrance than really. Mm -hmm. Like not being able to lift things because I'm such a like. You are very petite. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm usually like I'll just move these things and people will be like no. <laughs> will come in and make yeah. sure I'm not lifting anything. But, you know, like a case of wine is like right at the threshold of like what you're not supposed totally. to be lifting. It's always the tiny ones you got to worry about. We're um, a strong force to be reckoned yeah. with. Yeah. Well, it's very Just watch her drive the forklifts. Okay? I know. Yeah. Yeah. You're a beast. Which that I can do. You can still do but that. But yeah, yeah just... thank God. Like <laughs> if I couldn't drive the forklift, I think I would be like in a depression. Like, that's, my <laughs> that's my baby. So, you know, I, but luckily everyone is like so helpful. And oh, yeah. I have an assistant right now who's been great and um he gets a workout because oh, i don't get to so she was saying when you weren't here off mm -hmm. camera and off video that uh she was in napa with the other winemakers pregnant tasting mm -hmm. you know wines for that was really hard yeah yeah we went out in may to kind of look at all of our vineyards uh -huh. um which 
we'd like to do every year, but we haven't been able to do it for the last few years. So it was me, the winemaker from Chicago, Atlanta, Hudson Valley, and then our boss, our chief winemaker, David. Um, and it was like right when I found out I was pregnant. Oh, I think I found out I was pregnant like Mother's Day weekend. I mean, amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm so happy. (laughs) And then um, we were all going to Napa and I was like, of course, of course. And then after Napa, our friends were getting like married in Vegas. And so I was like, oh man. Yeah. And so I couldn't drink anything the whole time I was there. And it's great because you're like with all these vineyards and winemakers and all they want to do is like give you stuff to taste. Yeah. You have to be like, yeah, I'm sorry. Can I have a spit bucket? Yeah. Like I'm going to be that person. But, you know, but it was still really cool. A lot of what we were doing was like looking at the vineyards and frost was really bad this year in California. Mm. So I'd say we probably got like, half of what we were supposed to get. Wow. Like it was just, especially our Mendocino vineyards, like they just got rocked. And like when you're out there and you see how high up the elevation is, you can see on the vines too, like that frost damage. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like they got burnt. It's wow. a really weird. And then you can't even use them? Because no. they just don't yeah, produce. It's all the little, um, the buds and the little grapes that start to grow, like they just get destroyed. So. That's so sad. I know. So the city winery own vineyards the out vineyards? there? Or do they just kind of... We source. Source. Them. Yeah. Okay. Um, we do have like two planted acres at our Hudson Valley okay. location. Um, but we haven't really like pulled anything yeah. from it yet. Because typically you want like three to five years of growth before you can really pull from those grapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also been the biggest like hindrance in me doing local crops. I've just been like waiting for these local vines to kind of come to fruition. Pardon the pun. But um, (laughs) yeah, so we source, we have like our favorite vineyards that we get. So Alder Springs is a huge one for us. And then Sino, Bettinelli, which we'll have. um, It's an amazing, amazing vineyard in Napa that's like I mean, the wait list is super long. Opus One gets grapes from them. Wow. Screaming Eagle sources grapes from them. And you're not allowed to know like what blocks and rows belong to people. So uh-huh. each of the rows has a little picture and it's like a symbol that represents, I think ours is like an olive branch, but there's like, you know, an eagle and it's like, okay, well we know. <laughs> <laughs> we it's know not that screaming, but. Yeah, <laughs> like I can guess. Um, but it's like pristine. Like I've never seen vines the way that theirs are. They've trained them to be like eye level and you can look and just see like hanging grapes. There's no extra like Whoa. leaves or anything. It just it's is amazing. like, you can train yeah. Them like that. Because the guy who, um, Larry Bettinelli, who planted the vineyard, like he maintains vineyards. Yeah. That's what he did for the longest time in Napa. And he worked with, people who pick and he was like how do I make them happier and not have to like because everyone else you have to like bend over Mm. and they just break their backs so he did it with like making it mm -hmm. easier for the workers wow so they just are like they can mosey right along and just see everything hanging down I have some photos I can show you guys but um yeah and then we have um some Sonoma vineyards all of our Chardonnay usually comes from Scopus vineyards which is beautiful same thing where they just like you know 
grow a certain amount and allot it for certain vineyards and they have no desire to grow anymore. They just like, mm -hmm. like their customers and that's who they grow it for. Um, and then we have some other vineyards that will like change it up every year. It's great because we're not restricted by what's here. So we're not like, oh, we have five acres of cab. We have to do a ton of cab and then that's it. You right. know, we can pick and choose. And David will go out while they're picking in California and sometimes we'll just find stuff. <laughs> Someone's like, oh, this, you know, winemaker didn't pick up three tons of petite sirage. Do you, you want, want it? it? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yep, put it on the truck. Wow. It's like, so we never know what we're getting. Yeah. Like as much as we try to plan and buy yeast for what we think is coming, we'll get a call and be like, just kidding. You're not getting, like, I thought I was getting more bed this year and Pinot Noir and, um, I think Syrah and I got Zinfandel, Cab Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon. So. Well, you gotta be more, I guess, really flexible with mm -hmm. what you're gonna do and just yeah. kind of figure it out on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> we have like three days notice. They have team drivers drive them out and then, yeah, we find out when it gets yeah. here. <laughs> wow. So you poured some wine for us. Yes. So what are we drinking? Well, what's the first thing we're drinking? The first thing I've got is um, a reserve Pinot Noir. So this is, we call it our Cuvée Justice. It comes from the Justice Vineyard in Oregon. So Willamette Valley. Um, really small. This was like a, a small allocation. So I think I only have four barrels of it mm. um, but I love Oregon Pinot mm -hmm. and we usually always have like a California Pinot and an Oregon Pinot it's a 2019 um, it's just really beautiful fruit um, and they've been a vineyard I don't think we got any Oregon crop this year um, just there was a lot of issues with Oregon weather and everything going on and then the fires yeah. and um, it's also typically just, it's gotten harder and harder for us to ship the grapes here. Because right now we facilitate all of our grapes out of a um, shipping company in Lodi. They're Delta packing, so they pack like cherries and grapes and all kinds of other fruit. But it works really well for wine grapes too. Um, but for Oregon, we have to use different trucks and mm. different packing facilities. So it's getting harder and harder. Um, Mm, I love the smell. Yeah, it's a really beautiful Oregon. I love Oregon. How many yeah. bottles can you get out of a barrel? No, um, normally, twenty-five cases. Okay. Um. So I'm not gonna do that math off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, twenty-five times twelve. Whatever that is. I get some like strawberry licorice. Yeah. Mm. This was in barrel for a really long time. It just kind of. Oh, this is so good. It's heftier, and. So I knew immediately, like, okay, this is going to be yeah, reserve. Oh my gosh, I love it. Oh, I love it too. It's yeah. kind of Pinot Noir. This time of year, I know. Yeah, it's like... This would be great with turkey. Don't people say that a lot with Pinot Noir? That Pinot Noir is mm -hmm. kind of like a Thanksgiving type wine? I think that's why, like, especially like Beaujolais Nouveau always comes out this time of mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like just to ease into like winter, I like, I'd start getting into Pinot first mm -hmm. and then, you know, my palate will darken as it gets colder and colder, but it's the most versatile for me because you can have fish. It's the only red wine you can have fish with. Mm. Um, and for me, like, 
cranberry sauce and cinnamon totally. and like pumpkin oh, yeah. and all those things are go really well with it yeah yeah and those flavors are present so it's super easy to pair in that way mm. but this is delish mm -hmm. so we were talking before this too about turkeys and you said you won a turkey competition yes <laughs> city winery turkey competition <laughs> which like i was very proud about too so <laughs> are you competitive Yes, incredibly. I <laughs> and I like, you know, went all out on it. The yeah, turkey. and was like talking trash about it. Oh, you're I'm talking trash, trash about it. Yeah, okay. I was like, is that normally? I mean, you're you're normally a trash talker. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I try not to enter too many competitions, you know, because I <laughs> have you entered like a chili competition before? Those can get pretty no. brutal. People get really intense about. Well, do you like chili? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've 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 talked to people that do that, and they get like really, like my sister cried when she lost. I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I mean, it's a personal thing. Like, yeah, but it's not like her chili was bad. Right, it just wasn't the best. Yeah, which I would never be able to mentally handle. Like, <laughs> I've done a couple of like tastings and stuff, and you know, we always do tours and things, and like every now and then, someone will be like, "Oh, this wine is horrible," and I'll be like, "They say that." <laughs> yeah. People, I get, like, they used to send us our reviews every week, and I would get so defensive about, like, it, you, you can't yeah. not take it personally. But, but then know. some people are like, this is the best I've ever had. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, like, <laughs> but I think, that's, that just, I think yeah. people are just like that with wine, though. Like, everyone's palate is so different. Yes, absolutely. And, I mean, like, there's some that we think are, like, amazing. Like, I think there's this one that... It was like a special reserve that came in at Trader Joe's like two years ago. It was like, I don't know, it was like maybe 30 bucks, but it was amazing. But I, I had a girl that, she was pretty new to wine, and sometimes I think if you're new to wine, some of those like really dry Italians or yeah. French, like you shouldn't, I don't really think you should start off with those. Yeah. And she heard us talking about it, and she was like, well, I'm going to buy it. And I told her, I was like, just so you know, this like, is not like this is empty. not... Yeah, like it doesn't have, it's not super fruity, and she returned it like the next day. She was like, that was the worst wine I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, well, you know, if that, that shouldn't be your starting point. In 10 years, you might like yeah. that wine. But you will appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, I always say, like, if you know what you like, that's the first step in tasting wine. Like, and you're able to verbalize it and mm -hmm. tell, like, express what you like about it, it's going to make such a difference in how you enjoy wine like I think a lot of times if people don't like certain wines that we make it's because like a server wasn't listening to them mm. or they didn't know how to communicate what they do like because yeah. I would um, when I was managing tasting rooms I would always tell our staff like do not try to force a wine yeah. on somebody Definitely and not. do yeah. not try to like tell somebody they're wrong because they don't like it right that's how you get people being like well I don't like any of these because mm. they're not what I like so I'm going to tell people the wines are bad. And so like if someone's telling you, I like sweet stuff, don't try to get them to taste, you know, yeah, like the totally. reserve cab because it's not going to be it's sweet at all. Well, yeah. Like get them in the direction or, you know, like food changes wine so much mm -hmm. and it can make it so much more approachable. So yeah, I mean, there's such a... You have something of like everything here too, don't you? Do you have, you have some sweet We do, here? yes. We finally took the plunge into sweet stuff, which is so like foreign to me, but you can't be in Tennessee and not have sweet wine. So um, we have our debutante, which is our like classic kind of sweet 
white blend, and then we're about to release, um, it's called the Paramore, which is like the red, sweet red. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is a blend, it's Petite Syrah, a little bit of Pinot, some cabs, some Sangiovese, but it's like heavy, sweeter, kind yeah. of port style. Not as high as alcohol. <laughs> yeah, which typically I think some of the sweet ones aren't, which was actually interesting. We were watching Shark Tank last night and they had like this um, new wine company mm -hmm. and they're the second largest like black owned wine, like sweet mm -hmm. wine company like in, in America. Country, yeah. yeah. Whoa. And they're out, but their wines are at like 13%. So they're trying to make a sweeter version of a wine but have it at be at 13%. Mm -hmm. So it's more of like a premium sweet wine. Yeah. But I thought that was pretty cool that they, they're taking a different approach to sweet because sweet is usually at like, what? Nine, yeah, lower. Yeah. Um, and it's just the method. In right, the method. Yeah, so I'm like, I wondered how they, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, ours are gonna be higher like probably 12 to 13 um, because we are adding yeah. sweetness to it. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, the best way to make a sweet wine or like the most traditional is you ferment it until it's not quite dry. Mm -hmm. gotcha. So all of our wines are fermented dry. Yeah. So you're going to get, you know, anywhere from 13 to 15% alcohol on them, maybe 12 for the whites. Um, and then we'll add in the sweetness later with either like concentrate or just straight up sugar yeah <laughs> like, well i love that y'all have a good representation of everything because i do feel like that like you have something for everybody mm -hmm. here to drink and i i think that there are so many people that it's cool if they only like sweet wine because i'm like yeah then that's a good stepping point and you're still drinking wine you yeah. know i mean like it's not for me personally but i hate when people say like oh sweet wine sucks i'm like there's a category for it, yeah. and it actually can be There's really good. There's a time good. and a place yeah. for sweet wine, too. Like, I mean, if you're having, like, blue cheese or mm. um, desserts, like, it can really take off some of that sweetness. If you pair it with the right thing, um, you know, port is not always everybody's cup of tea, but if you're having it with the right, mm. you know. Oh, I think with cheese, it's Oh, yeah. Blue amazing. cheese, gorgonzola, mm -hmm. like, all of those stinky soft things yeah <laughs> you want to try the next one let's do it yeah so this one it's got our little harvest best label on it but this is our new reserve merlot now do all the city wineries have the same wine selections not always so mm -hmm. the biggest thing that i think is kind of cool and we're Usually we try to get together like once a year and taste each other's stuff, but we'll often get similar grapes or the same grapes, um, and then everybody makes them in like different styles. That's so what I was going to say. The winemaker probably has their picks, own style yeah. to it and makes things taste a little different than other winemakers. Yeah. So. And especially us like versus Chicago or New York, like there's different audiences, so not everybody mm. wants the same style you know uh the whiskey barrel age stuff for us is huge here um you saw a lot of that a ton like it has just done so because well it's so us. good yeah it's so good <laughs> oh my we gosh talking about that off air but i was like that whiskey barrel tab oh, it was barrel. oh it was actually one of my favorite ones i've had i still dream too. about it it was really 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 good yeah i mean it's 
just an interesting different thing that I think we're privileged in being so close to distilleries and um, having access to them and yeah. you know we don't have to ship the barrels across the country we can just like I'll get my husband's truck and fit five in the back of them and yeah. drive them back over here and um, it's such a different stylistic thing that we're able to do that really just adds a special something so was there not a lot of that in California no I remember the first time I had ever had a whiskey barrel aged wine was probably 10 years ago um, maybe like eight years ago, but I had seen it online. I was starting to do my like uh, sommelier training because I started doing that um, before I realized like, oh, that's not really I what I want to do. Right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, like in doing that, I was like, this is not what I like. We're not talking about how we make this or anything. Like, I was more curious about that, and we're just talking about like geography and selling it. That was great for vocabulary. Yeah. Um, but so I was subscribed to all these like newsletters and stuff and there was a Spanish Syrah that they were aging in Pappy Van Winkle barrels. Oh, wow. And I was like, that's, that's interesting. interesting. And so I ordered a couple bottles of it and it was like $50 a bottle, which I was like, okay. Yeah. Better be really good. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know. Was it that good? It wasn't the greatest, and I couldn't really taste any whiskey on it, which oh. I thought was interesting. Um, so, and it came with like a twist cap too. So I was like, hmm, like what is you know a fifty dollar bottle of wine with a twist cap? What does that mean? Yeah. But you know, it was fine. But I was like, there has to be a way that you like you know. So that was always my thing. Was like, there's got to be something you can gain from it. Like I have to imagine it must get better. And so the first wine that we ever put in whiskey barrels here was in 2018. We ended up trading um, Nelson's Greenbrier out in Germantown, 60 gallons of some Pinot Noir to distill into brandy. Um, and then in return, we got a couple whiskey barrels. Mm. And so our brandy is still aging over there. And then we have some of the distillate, just the like white lightning version of it. Um, that we'll use eventually to make a port style mm. here, but um, our brandy is still aging there. And like every year I go and check on it and I'm like, how's it doing? <laughs> when do we get to taste it? Um, but we put petite Syrah in the whiskey barrels. Mm. And I just remember like filling them up and being like, this smells so good. Yeah. Like it smelled like blackberry pie. Delicious. Mm. So. I was like, I feel like this is a good thing and it's going to do well. And um, we ended up just blending it back into our Petite Syrah because we weren't really prepared for how to market it and all that stuff yet. And then finally, um, in 2020, I was like, let's do some cab and let's keg it and see if people like it. And it just started flying. It took off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. That cab is so good. Yeah. Like I told you, it didn't taste like manipulated. It tasted like you yeah. definitely got the whiskey mm -hmm. in the barrel on it. Yeah. And just the blend of that with the cab was, it's so good. So good. Yeah. I always tell people to have like a little sidecar. Just to kind of see. Yeah. But I mean, it definitely is like, if you like whiskey, mm -hmm. then you're going to like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're like not a whiskey drinker, I don't know how it would 
come off. Mm -hmm. um, I think people don't go for it as much, but you know, there's some folks, especially here in Tennessee, who are like, I don't drink wine, I drink whiskey. Yeah. So I'm like, this is your gateway wine. That's, totally. a, that's a whiskey drinker's wine. Yeah. Definitely. I love the nose on this. Yeah, let's talk about this one. Yes. So Merlot, um, this comes from the Anderson Valley. So do you know like Sierra Nevada brewing and mm -hmm. all of that? So that same little area. Um, and this was just a fun little off mm. area that we were able to source from. Normally we get our Merlot from Washington State. Um, we haven't done too much California Merlot. Also like 20% of Merlot was pulled up 10 years ago because of that sideways movie. Um, That's so sad. They pulled up 20% of yeah. the Merlot because of a, because movie, of a California. movie. Yeah. Because the sales just dropped. Yeah. People were like, we don't want that anymore. And so they that just movie made fun of it. 20%. Yeah. Do you feel like it's made a comeback since then? I think so, a little bit. I think people are, first of all, you know, like most people who drink wine now are in their 20s and probably haven't seen that movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I, my goal has always been to like try to make Merlot cool again. <laughs> this is like, this will do it. This oh is yeah, a great yeah. Merlot. Love it. And more like in the style of a cab, like spicy mm -hmm. and peppery and tannins. Yeah, like, not yeah. too like light. I think yeah. a lot of times. Right. You know what though? I think the problem is, is that so many people just tried like the house Merlot at like Ruby Tuesdays, mm -hmm. and that was what kind of like gave them a bad feeling about Merlot. Is that what you did? Yeah. <laughs> I did that. I went to TGI Fridays and got the house Merlot. I mean, I think that yeah. people, that's that's like their introduction to Merlot. And it's like, Merlot is one of like the top wines, I would say, that's blended in most really great blends, especially in yeah. France. You know? Goes, yeah. yeah. And um, this is really great. I think if you have a good representation of it and not you're not just getting like a cheap, cheap kind of mm -hmm. crappy blend of it. Like, I don't know. You yeah, know what I mean? Do you like, agree with that? Yeah, I think it's it's also like been one of those wines that is so mass produced cheaply that your perception of it is like the artificial elements mm -hmm. that often mm -hmm. go into like bulk winemaking. Yep. So like the tannins aren't genuine tannins, mm. they're artificial and it's a very like fake kind of weird feeling. Um, like I can just tell if something's got artificial So you can taste things. that like right away. Yeah. I mean, it tastes almost like a cross between like potpourri and rubber. Hmm. And it clings to your palate in a very like weird, kind of like how you know something's got like stevia. Or, yeah, like, like you can taste it. Yeah. It like is very weird in the palate. But that's, you know, if you're one of these giant wineries that you're producing it in these huge stainless steel tanks and it's never going to see a day in barrel and you just stick a bunch of like artificial tannin or like wood staves in there mm -hmm. you know essentially like a big tea bag full of wood chips that have flavor on them that's what you're gonna mm -hmm. get out of it so how long did this stay in the barrel this was probably about 16 months mm. Mm -mm. love it what yeah. i like about this merlot too is like after you swallow like it just you keep tasting it. Uh -huh. Like it just hangs out. Yeah. Like it's just. It's a good taste. And it's still tasting. Grippy. It's got yeah. that. Like, it is. Yeah. It's tannin. Got, yeah. Um, but it's balanced. It's not like pure tannin. Oh, like, yeah. I, mm -hmm. A lot of stuff can just be like, you know, all the moisture is gone from your mouth. No. I'd yeah. love to drink this with like 
some cheese. Havarti. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cheese talk in this podcast. What, really? You, talk, you guys are talking about stinky cheese in this podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just like cheese. I'm I mean, I'm, like I'm going to talk you about cheese. cheese. Yeah. Did you know that there's a cheese trail? What? In Asheville? Really? What do you yes. mean? If you Google cheese, there's a cheese trail. Does it include wine? You, no, I don't know. But you go along and it's like a wine trail only with cheese. Okay, side note, I have to, I have to tell you guys Cheese something. trail, Asheville. I actually had a dream that, well, this is like a goal of mine. If I ever like had a lot of money, I wanted to create a theme park called Cheese World. Oh, I would go. No, I mean, it would. Your first season ticket. Everything, order. all the rides would be like cheese themed and like you'd mm-hmm. get like there'd only be cheese to eat like or cheese like related items and like it would like have wine but like everyone would yes. have to like wear like cheese hats and like it would be all about cheese. It'd be amazing. Cheese world. I think people would go. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know where it would be. I thought Wisconsin, but then I'm like, does anybody really want to go to Wisconsin? I don't know. I'd say, like, I mean, anywhere there's... Yeah, but people, like, don't really go to Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe, like, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Do some cheese production. I'm in. Like, I'm... <laughs> yeah. Cheese, cheese world. So if I win the Mega Millions, which I think I might, then... <laughs> we're opening Cheese World. That's what we're doing. I'm excited. All right. <laughs> you could have, like, a fondue world mm-hmm. and, like... You know, a, like yeah. an Italian theme. Yeah, and like you'd have bumper cars, but they'd be cheese wheels. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Everything. You can make it all cheese. Yeah. And you could still have like people dressed up like mice and stuff. Yes! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> mice! This, this is a big idea. This is huge. It's yeah. a great idea. So if you're listening to this and you steal my idea, I know who you are. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> we will find you. All right, let's try the last one. <laughs> So is it a true statement that screw top wine is more expensive than doing cork? I mean... I've heard that. But remember we've mentioned this before that it seems like Pinot Noir has a screw top a lot. Yeah, I think it... I'm thinking from a cost perspective, is it is it cheaper to do... Because I know the quality of wine, it's, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't mean it's a poor quality of wine to have a screw top. No, not But is it more expensive or kind of the same to do a... I mean, the thing that stands out to me the most is that the machine you have to get to put that screw top on is a lot more expensive. So the cost That's of, more expensive? Yeah. And then the glass to... Well, if you're a winery, like most folks have a bottling line or they hire out a bottling line to come mm-hmm. and bottle stuff for them. Um, and there's a cost that comes with that. But like with glass and everything too, you have to get a whole different bottle. Right. A whole different... It's a whole different setup. application of the capsule. I know too that um, they recommend you take out like insurance on capsule wine or twist cap because there's more chance of them becoming faulty. Mm. And in shipping and things, more things can happen. The town that I used to work in, there was a winery that I remember they had to like pull all the bottles that had screw caps because they weren't completely screwed on by the machine and they did it. Oh, oh. Okay. So they started noticing like under a pallet that there was wine accumulating and so they had to like flip the pallet over, like saran wrap the whole thing, flip it over so that it would stop because you store wine upside down. Yeah. And then like start pulling bottles and oh, like, what a nightmare. what didn't get in, poured out. So I think they like recommend, so there is extra cost that comes with it, but I don't know. I mean, cork 
is expensive, mm-hmm. but it's not that expensive. It's probably like anywhere from like five cents to fifteen cents, maybe thirty cents a cork. I think for natural cork, it's about thirty to thirty-five cents a cork. For you know artificial rubber corks, you're looking at like three to five cents, and then we use predominantly these diam corks, um, which are guaranteed for, these are Diam 10, so they're guaranteed for 10 years. They're guaranteed to not have TCA, which is the cork disease in them. Um, And these are probably 20 cents. Okay. But you can get them like three, five, 10, 15, 20 years. So it just depends. Depending on how long you're trying to age it. Yeah, these are both natural. What would be the purpose that people use the synthetic corks? Cheaper. Is it cheaper? Cheaper. Um, they're guaranteed for longer. These are, they're not synthetic, but they're genetically like modified corks. GMO so, corks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 There's nothing bad about them. There's such a thing. But they use real cork and they just treat it for DCA yeah. and then, you know, put it all together. So these are pretty popular, I'd say, especially like coming out of California, but also like, I, the world of glass and cork was so challenged when everything shut down yeah. in the pandemic. Like this pedo bottle is so heavy and thick and we never use glass that big, but that's like all that they had left. Wow. So, so that's what you got. Mm-hmm. So when it's next to our like older vintage wines, it looks huge <laughs> and gigantic. And I'm like, oh man, our Syrah looks so tiny. <laughs> sad. But um, yeah, and then like cork too, like, you used to be able to be like, yeah, I need cork next week, and they would just send it. Yeah. Um, oh, this is the one that doesn't have the label. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. We haven't. It's really the good. Labels are coming. So, yeah, this is Bettinelli Vineyards 2019 Reserve Cab. Um, mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to say how much we pay per ton, but I could tell you that it's like probably... I love this. Three times as much as the other vineyards that we use. It's very expensive. Yeah. But it's like, you know what you're getting every time. And it's beautiful and clean. What what percentage cab is this? 100%. 100%. This is so good. See, and recently... I love the nose on this thing. I love everything. I mean, it's like leather, graphite. It's like... Everything you want. And I'll say this. Normally, we don't really like talk too bad on certain wines. But we did try the... um, You're good. The Platinum Reserve cab that came in at Trader Joe's, and like usually the Platinums are supposed to be like, okay, these are these like elevated wines most of the time. They're all from California that they're getting at a really great price because they're a lot like Costco mm-hmm. or, you know, it's... They're sourcing them. Right, they're sourcing. In reality, it's like a, you know, $30 or $40 value, but they're selling them for $14.99. The Platinums, we only get them in during the holidays. We tried the cab, and it was like... And I don't know if you can tell me what this, maybe it's just the acidity is what I'm thinking, but my gums were like throbbing mm-hmm. as I was drinking this, this oh wine. Gosh. I mean, I was like feeling, I was like, this is like, and it might be acidity I'm thinking and like the citrus in it and all that. But yeah. it was like, I was like, what? it was just so intense. Did you yeah, try you it? Yeah. I was like, I, I just, feel like, like it was like stripping. Like, like, yeah. Like I felt like tingling like pain in my gums and I'm like I couldn't mm-hmm. even I mean the Pinot Noir Platinum that, for, that we got this year was awesome but that cab I mean it was just so 
so much so tart and other people tried it at the store too and they were like so tart and yeah. this is like trying this it's so freaking smooth mm -hmm. like it just eases down i don't feel any of that gum happening like what do you think exactly that yeah. was i mean i would just think it was probably the acidity probably a combination of the acidity and the tannin they typically are pretty well balanced but if you have like a high alcohol you're usually not going to have high acidity so if it's a little bit i mean this is like 151 probably you probably. wouldn't even know yeah no. um but also like i refused to bottle this until i knew that it was going to be ready like a big thing I think that's changed with wine that maybe not all producers are quite on board with um, is that, you know, like it's something like 98% of wine is consumed within 24 hours of purchase. So for me as a winemaker, like that bottle's got to be ready to drink, mm -hmm. you know, mm. which is not always the case, you mm. know, before and especially in Napa, especially like, you know, Oregon and Washington, like they're expecting you to put those wines away for 10 years. Hmm. Like people used to just sell her stuff. Like they would taste things and they would taste it for the potential or be like, yeah, I'll buy, you know, a vintage now and then drink it in 10 years. But like people aren't doing that anymore. They go to the store, they buy the wine and they bring it they home and they drink, drink it. it. Yeah. So my guess would be like, you know, it wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think people also just have an expectation of like Napa Cab that it is going to be big and just strong and astringent and like huge and I don't know. But this is like crazy how it's like you said it's a at like a fifteen percent. You don't yeah. taste this overwhelming amount of alcohol mm -hmm. in it at all. Mm -hmm. Like. That's what's dangerous about this. I could like drink a bunch <laughs> yeah. of this and be like, ooh, it's so smooth, it's so nice and light. And it's like, but it is, it's still that cab that, you know, but it's not overwhelmingly like yeah. big or anything like that. It's still very like, I could drink this on its own mm -hmm. and I would just mm -hmm. enjoy sitting there and like drinking yeah. it. I love this wine. Yeah. So this is one that you're like about to put out? Yes, we're just like literally waiting mm -hmm. for labels. Is this gonna be a reserve? Mm -hmm. Okay, oh a reserve. Yeah. And it'll be... And what year is this? 2019. 2019. Price point will probably be, I don't, I don't price them. <laughs> 60. I wish that I could price it at 60. I think it deserves So you submit all the information 60. about it and then somebody else prices it? Yeah. It's probably going to be between 36 to 40. That's insane. Okay. Maybe 42. So if you're listening to this. This is a $36 bottle? $40? Maybe, I'd say like 42 max. Under 50 for sure. This is, this is an amazing yeah. cab. This is like so good. Yeah. I was going to say, this drink's like a... $67 oh, easy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in California, so it would probably sell. I mean, if you look up, so the specific vineyard, it's Bettinelli Vineyard Sleeping Lady is the, the they've got like a bunch of land, but it's is named for Is there a picture of a lady sleeping? It and that's looks how you like know a it's woman like... yeah, sleeping on her side. <laughs> oh, really? That's why they called it that. Um, <laughs> and if you look up like that vineyard, yeah. other bottles from other producers, they're like, three to four hundred dollars Whoa. Wow. so i always tell like our staff i'm like if somebody's asking about this just have them google the vineyard yeah and then they'll be delighted to pay you know what fifteen dollars yeah. a glass yeah. <laughs> like it's a bargain but you know it's it, it is like flawless fruit like it makes my job easy yeah to yeah. get fruit like this yeah um and there's so much about winemaking too that like 
it just does what it wants to do. Mm -hmm. Like this year was the first year where everything I got was 100% wild fermentation. So mm -hmm. I didn't add yeast. I didn't. You didn't you know, add yeast. No, it. I added nutrient at some point, but it all got going on its own. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I do think it takes a really good winemaker to make really good wine, though. So, well, props you. to you. Like, you know, don't sell yeah. yourself short. But, I mean, it's like, but, you know, and I think a lot of that, too, is like, do you have the ability to just let it do what it wants? Because some folks are like, nope, I've got to get in there. Rush it and, out. Yeah, yeah. Like, Chardonnay, it always comes in a little bit brown. So, people immediately try to like fix the color or do things. And I'm like, no, it'll figure itself out. Like, I know that that's just gonna like come off. Like, yeah. it naturally, you know, it's it looks like apple juice when you first get it in. Yeah. It tastes like apple juice. Um, and then it gets a little bit brown because it's cooking and it's doing what it wants to do. And then um, eventually all of that color just kind of wears off and you're left with, you know, after all the leaves and everything settles, it is that pretty yeah. lemon yellow that yeah. you want it to be. And same with these, like sometimes we've had our Grenache that we had, um, that we got in 2018. I remember the color was like Pepto-Bismol pink and I was like, <laughs> what? And are we going to do with this? Like it looked like a rosé, but it was just a Grenache. Yeah. And um, it took forever to be ready, first of all. But I was just like, what, like, when will the color come around? So I think I took some Petite Syrah out of barrels and then immediately put the Grenache in. Like maybe it'll pick up some of the color. And so you just have to mess around with it. That's but I was wild. like, I don't want to blend it. Like I want it to be just as it is. But yeah. it took, I don't think we bottled it until... January, I think it's what broke the bottle line. <laughs> January of 2020. Uh, it took that long for it to like come around and be ready and be a color. And it still is like pretty light, but yeah, man, you just they're fussy sometimes. Oh, yeah. So, what would you say is your favorite thing about winemaking and wine in general? Like, if you're like, man, in this life, what do I love about this thing? Yeah, I mean, it's such a like, I don't know sounds like a little self-indulgent but it's cool like yeah <laughs> I feel like cool doing this job um, and it's such a specific thing that like you know there's a little bit of job security just knowing that like people are always gonna drink wine they're mm -hmm. always gonna love doing that um, but also like it is something that I think needs humans involved hmm. you can't just have a machine make wine and you know it's never sure. just like a recipe that you're using that you're like yeah just make it this way and it's or it shouldn't be taste. yeah it shouldn't <laughs> be but there's so many factors that go into what you know the terroir of this like how do things what is the climate like what's the elevation like did we have frost this year was there like you know this year we had everything ready super late and last year everything was ready super early so it's like all about the weather and did it rain at a weird time mm -hmm. you know all the things that sommeliers love to talk about where they're like oh the rain that year was just tremendous and it's like no i mean you come and talk to us and we're like oh yeah the rain <laughs> like, it was really horrible or it came at the wrong time like we had a lot of rain right before we picked which is scary for us yeah and it will make the acidity go up mm. in a weird way um, or the pH go up and so it's just like this year was a really weird year and all of us you know it's nice to have 
a bunch of us working for the same company doing the same thing because mm-hmm. we can just call or like text each other and be like, uh, is anyone else like, is this really weird for you? Yeah. And then this year I did all of our processing in Atlanta with our Atlanta winemaker because I was like, I just, you know, it'll make my life a lot easier, his life a lot easier. So we were able to kind of do it together and really like bond over our crop and all the machinery that likes to break. Every year some piece of machinery breaks. It sounds like it. And you're like, God. Like last year it was our sorting table and our must pump. And we had like, you know, when you get people in, because we just bring in our staff, um, you only have them for like eight hours. And so you're like, we got to get going. Like, So it was like, the must pump stuff working, so I was like, get it out of here, whatever, we'll do it without it. So I was, we were sorting into bins, and then I would take the bins with the forklift, dump them into the tank, um, and then our sorting table kept shorting out because the plug was like wired incorrectly, and I was like, get the sorting table out. <laughs> so we were just stemming into these bins, and it was like me with my head under these bins, we were like pulling out twigs and leaves and like bad berries and stuff. Like I had like eight people just sorting out of these bins. Um, and I've never like been so disgusting in my life. <laughs> grapes come in so sweet. It's like 10 times the sweetness of a table grape. And eventually like right now they're all dry, but it's disgusting. Yeah. Sounds like it. It's not glamorous, is it? No. God. Oh, man. Yeah, that's Wine the biggest thing. so glamorous. You think we're like out in the vineyard like, oh, yes, look at all the, the beautiful leaves. And really, we're just like, everything is hitting us in the ankle and the knee and the winery and it's cold and everything's sticky and yeah, it's a, an adventure. But it's great. I mean, I don't know that many people who get to do this. Yeah. It's true. Especially out here. Like, right. That's what is so cool, too, about the company is that we're all in these big cities that, you know. Yeah. There's no vineyards around us. And we're yeah. surrounded by skyscrapers. Well, and that's the thing we love about City Winery, too, mm-hmm. is you can come and enjoy some really, really nice wine. Yeah. In the middle of skyscrapers. Yeah. In downtown Nashville. And it's made It's one locally. of our favorite places. Yeah. By a local wine maker. How cool is that? Yep. That's why we love this place and promote it all the time. Yes. And I just want to thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, oh my God. And, um, yeah, I just think y'all need to support this place and try the wine because it's so good. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, you can just come buy by the bottle too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even by the buy by the bottle. Bottle, glass. Growler. Growler. You guys are still doing live music shows. We are, yeah. All the time. So, good place to see. Yeah. You have classes for? For, we've got like a, like pairing class series we're doing. So I think in early December we're doing like a cheesecake pairing class again. Oh, cool. Which will be indulgent. And you just did the <laughs> Harvest Festival, right? Yes. So you, yeah. Yeah. Our fifth annual Harvest Fest and, which is always like once that's done I get to rest a little bit. So. Yeah. Nice. So I'll be much more relaxed the next <laughs> couple months. And then the baby comes And then the baby comes in comes January yeah. and then yeah. you get yeah. some time off, so. Yeah. But there's so many events happening here all the time, too. All the time, mm-hmm. yeah. If you like, come to Nashville, yeah, this look is at what's a, going on This is just wiring. a place to visit. Yeah, it's for sure. so great. The wine's amazing. Props to it. you, Michelle. Delicious, you. as always. Thanks for letting us try this stuff. Thanks for coming. Yes, sweet cheers. Check out City Winery. You don't have any <laughs> I don't have anything. Oh, it's okay. It's so good. I drank it. Cheers. <laughs>
He's pretending to drink something. There's nothing. There was a little last sip. Oh. <laughs> Got it.